morning again. And let me say also good morning to those of you who are watching at home. If you're a visitor this morning, a special welcome to you. Uh, Folks that are visiting in the sanctuary, uh, feel free to approach me or someone in the red vest or David if you need help finding a restroom or knowing how to get more involved. If you're at home and you have questions, let me point you to the I'm New form on the Black Mole website. Uh, We would love to hear from you and help you get connected. Uh, Those of you in the sanctuary, would you take a minute and sign the friendship pad? I see some of you doing that already. Good job. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning with verse 26. After a brief hiatus, we are back to the Gospel of Mark, and we are smack in the middle of a series of parables. So the first parable was the parable of the four seeds, and then we had the parable of the lamp, what is hidden will be revealed, and the measure. And we come to another story about seeds and soil. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me for a moment? Jesus, we ask you by your Holy Spirit, explain this to us. Speak. Your servants listen. Amen. I wish I could hear from you, young and old. And I wish you could tell me, who is the first politician that you remember? What is the first political event that made an impression on you? Wouldn't it be fascinating to hear from the youngest and oldest in this room? And at the risk of making some of you say, oh, what a baby, she's so young, and others of you say, oh, she's kind of old, I'll tell you. I remember writing letters to soldiers in the Gulf War as an elementary student during the Bush senior administration. The Clinton scandals made a vague impression on me, but I was much more tuned in after 9-11 during the George W. years. And then my husband, 
took some high school students to the second Obama inauguration, and the Trump presidency began the week that I was ordained. What politicians, what political eras have made an impression on you and why? Historians tend to generalize, don't they, in terms of the Roosevelt era, the Reagan era, and really, the Bible remembers in the same way. After a short preface, the Gospel of Luke introduces his story with, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, during the Herod years. Only the Herod years don't really mean that much to us 2,000 years later, do they? But they do tell us this, that when you open the Bible, the story doesn't begin once upon a time. When you open the Bible, you are not reading a fairy tales. The Herod years tell us at least this, that God was born into our world. God made himself vulnerable to the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms. But when Jesus came of age, he began to preach about another kingdom, didn't he? What was that kingdom? The kingdom of God. After his baptism and temptation in the wilderness, Jesus begins his ministry with this proclamation. The kingdom of God is near. Though Herod still ruled in Judea, and Caesar was on the throne in Rome, Jesus claims boldly that a new era has begun. It's no longer to sufficient to say, these are the Herod years or the Caesar era. This is the moment, Jesus said, when the kingdom of God has come near. Now, the kingdom of God wouldn't have been a new idea to Jesus' disciples or the crowds that followed him. It was simply a way of speaking of the dominion of God, the place and the time when there was no opposition to God's will, God's justice. No one would have been surprised to hear a rabbi talk about the kingdom of God. What's noteworthy is not that Jesus talks about the kingdom, but what he says about it. The kingdom of God is like a mighty mountain, the highest of all mountains. Oh, wait, that's not what he said. The kingdom of God is like the Lord enthroned in the temple with six-winged seraphs around him. That's not what Jesus said. No, the kingdom of God is like something ordinary, not something remarkable. The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, automatically, the soil produces grain without the man's effort of amending the soil, thinning the seedlings, pulling the weeds. The harvest comes. The kingdom springs up while man goes about his ordinary rhythms of day and night, work and rest. What is the kingdom of God like? 
To what shall we compare it? To a raging fire? To a thundering sea? To a mighty army? Surely Jesus had these Old Testament images at his disposal, but he compares the kingdom of God not to something great and powerful, but to something small and insignificant, a tiny seed. What is Jesus trying to tell us? For surely the kingdom of God is great. Surely the kingdom of God is remarkable. But that's not how the kingdom comes. That's not how the kingdom presents itself in the world. The kingdom comes without any trappings of greatness, apart from human effort. And if you are focused on human strivings or looking for pomp and circumstance, you might just stumble over it and miss it. It happened to some of Jesus' contemporaries. The scribes and Pharisees, well, they were preoccupied by their own works, too committed to their tilling and sowing for the Lord. The zealots, those who wanted to take back Israel, Palestine from Rome, well, they were looking for worldly might and power. And both struggled to see the kingdom coming as it did. It came in the crucified Christ. The key to these parables, as it is to all the parables, is Jesus. Jesus is the seed. He is the word of God who was scattered into the world. He falls to the ground and is buried. And no thanks to the help of his friends or his enemies, Jesus springs up, doesn't he, as the first fruits of the harvest. Jesus is the mustard seed. He was held up before the crowds as the most tiny and insignificant of men. And yet... It is from the wood of his cross that the tree of life from all nation, for all nations grows. With Jesus, a new era has begun. God's dominion of justice and mercy, steadfast love and faithfulness is taking root. Can you trust that the kingdom grows, though we don't know how? I want to tell you a story we read often in our house. It's a story about two friends, Frog and Toad. Frog plants a garden, and Toad decides he wants a garden too. So his friend Frog gives him some seeds and tells him, you'll have a garden soon. Toad plants the seeds, looks at the ground, and says, okay, seeds, start growing. Gets a little closer. Seeds, start growing. Gets a little louder. Seeds start growing. Stop shouting, Frog says. You'll frighten your seeds. And Toad takes this literally. So he begins to do all kinds of things to comfort his seeds. He reads them a bedtime story. He recites poetry. He plays music. And finally, exhausted, he falls asleep. He wakes to the sound of his friend's voice saying, Look at your garden. Finally, the little green plants are coming up out of the ground. Friends, 
it is hard to live in the overlap of the ages. As Christians, our lives are defined by the reign of God inaugurated by Jesus, but God's dominion is not yet evident to all. And like Toad, we can be impatient. Start growing. The church has even at times come up with its own strange methods of trying to force the harvest to come. I've heard it said that if we can just get a missionary to every nation on earth, then Jesus will come back. Then there were other people who said, well, if we can just get Jesus' ethic of love to permeate our governments, then the kingdom will be here. Two very different strategies, but the idea is the same, to force God's hand to make the kingdom manifest now. Seeds grow. But the truth is that until Jesus returns, the kingdom remains more hidden than revealed. We perceive it in part, but it is more like a shrub than a great tree. It is a slow-growing harvest that we can celebrate, but we can't bring to the table to kick back and enjoy. Perhaps we as the church feel this more now than we have in the past. Plenty of people would tell us that by the numbers, the church is contracting, not growing. There are fewer seminaries, fewer converts, fewer church members, fewer dollars than there were a few decades ago. That's worthy of our attention for sure, but not despair. Friends, we are being pruned. We are being reminded that the kingdom comes, though we don't know how. Just as that farmer was attentive to the seed and dependent, but did not understand it. So we are attentive to the kingdom, dependent on God to bring it. But we don't get how the harvest will come. It is not ours to force it. But come, it will Jesus guarantees us that the harvest will come. He is not asking of us to needlessly fret and toil, but to see Jesus, to see him as the seed of the kingdom, to sow the words and the seeds of kingdom life, and to sleep and rise in trust. To see Jesus as the seed of the kingdom. To recognize Jesus, the crucified one, as God's imperial agent sent to earth and honor him. Sow the words and seeds of kingdom life. Scatter the good news of Jesus freely. Liberally spread forgiveness and love. And sleep and rise in trust. Entrust the outcome to the Lord as you continue your God-given rhythms and limitations of sleeping and rising, work and rest, youth and age. What does this look like? I think of the way that a child will talk about Jesus with a stranger and then think no more of it. I think of a parent entrusting their grown children to the Lord. See, sow, sleep and rise. 
I think of the church in Acts, forced out of Jerusalem by the threat of violence, but sharing Jesus wherever they went. See, so, sleep and rise. I think of someone named Clarence Jordan, who started a place called Koinonia Farm down in Georgia in the middle of this last century. Right away, it was under pressure from neighbors and even from the church. It looked like an experiment that would be stamped out before it began, and in some ways it was. But they were committed to being a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God, led by the ethics of the kingdom outlined in the Sermon on the Mount and open to all neighbors. They sowed many literal seeds and scattered the word widely through Clarence Jordan's translation of the New Testament into this Georgia vernacular, the Cotton Patch Gospels, before Jordan died too early. See, so, sleep and rise. I think of Blacknell. I think of Ed Henniger's exhortation that this church, a little blue-collar church at the time, should share the word and kingdom life with its university neighbors. At that time, well, apart from our location, we didn't seem like the natural place for a college ministry. See, so, sleep and rise. How will you remember this era? How do you think you'll look back on this time? Some want you to look back on it as the age of great political polarization, the moment of church decline. But let me make another suggestion. This was the time when Jesus asked us again, trust me, the kingdom comes, though you don't know how. Let's pray together. Help us to trust you, Lord. Interpret the past. Enable us to entrust the future to you. Bind us together. Send us out to sow your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. yet to come. As much as we would like, we can't say, grow kingdom, grow. Show us that you are this great tree. Prove to us. Jesus is asking us to trust him, but he has given us what we need to sustain us. We don't yet have the full banquet meal, but he has left us with this meal, by which his Holy Spirit makes his life at work in us, by which he strengthens us to trust him in the days of uncertainty. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. I will sustain you, Jesus is saying. 
This is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. All of you drink it. The church has said whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Would you pray with me? In your mercy, Jesus, would you take these common elements and make them to be for us your body and blood? We need you to sustain us, and we have every reason to trust that you will. Do this by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Servers, would you come forward?